morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, welcome. And uh, uh, for those of you uh, who don't know me, I'm Dave McGuire. Uh, we recently became uh, members, uh, moved to Las Vegas about a year ago. Uh, I served as an elder at Valley Presbyterian Church in North Hills, uh, and I'm currently an elder without a session. Um, thank you for uh, allowing me to teach today. Um, and I wanted to begin by saying uh, thank you uh, so much for the support that uh, Spring Meadows has shown uh, me and my family. Um, in uh, this first quarter of 2019, it's been uh, uh, pretty rough uh, for, for us. Uh, I lost my, my older brother um, uh, very unexpectedly um, uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, and uh, so, again, uh, it's, it's uh, various other things have happened, uh, including having to get a few stitches for walking by a chair that cut me. Uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was bizarre. Um, yeah, welcome to Vegas. Ah. Um, so, uh, again, I, I do appreciate the prayers and the support and, uh, and the cards. Uh, they've been... Uh, great comfort to, to my soul, to, to my, my family up in Washington, and of course to my, my family here. Um, let's uh, begin uh, like we do with, with a word of prayer. Lord, um, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that you have condescended to us, uh, have revealed yourself uh, in your greatness and your holiness to our lowliness uh, and our unworthiness. Uh, thank you that you have provided us through history so many uh, great men and women uh, who have interpreted your word and, and have uh, sought to um, make your, uh, your knowledge accessible to those of us who are uh, lay people. And we um, are thankful for it and thankful for them, uh, thankful for you as you continue uh, your work through your spirit uh, here among us today. Um, we ask for uh, blessing as we uh, proceed, and, and uh, your blessing especially on uh, the pastor as he preaches today, um, and on, on me as I, uh, I lead us through this uh, study. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, so today we are going through, and I apologize uh, for a couple of things. Uh, first is that I cannot find my study uh, version of the Westminster Confession that I have misplaced it somewhere in the move. Um, and the second is uh, for my hair, it looks like Conan O'Brien, and uh, <laughs> uh, it just can't be reasoned with today. I don't know what's wrong with it. Um, so we're moving here through the Westminster Confession of faith, I have six pages of notes, and I hope that I can get through them all. So if I'm less interactive today, it's just because like we, we're powering through these, uh, these uh, three chapters. This begins um, chapter 25 of the church. The Catholic or universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ the head thereof, and is the spouse the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The invisibleness is the trueness of one's faith. So that faithfulness is invisible. We cannot know. We cannot know uh, someone's true faith. We cannot know their heart. And we, um, we know that Christianity is a religion of the heart, right? It is not a religion outwardly of works, but those works that emanate from our gratitude for that inward work that Christ does in us, right? So only God truly knows the state of a man or a woman's heart, uh, and only God then uh, is, uh, can judge 
that man or that woman um, for his or her faith. Uh, even the person may be misguided. Even the person himself may misconstrue that experience of faith and may not be truly saved. All right? So uh, if you are looking to a false gospel, if you are looking to a false Christ, then you are not truly saved. And so therefore you are not part of the, the Catholic or universal church uh, that is invisible, right? Um, and also notice there that it, is, it consists of the whole number of the elect. So the church includes the dead who are in heaven, right? It includes also those and looks forward to those Christians who have not yet been born, looks forward to those Christians who are not yet regenerate, right? Those, those Christians are included in the church, the past, those who have died and are in glory now, the present, those of us who have accepted Christ into our hearts, have, have been regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit and sit in worship today, and also those who have yet to be um, regenerate and yet to be born. Also, Catholic is the visible church, the Roman church. Now, to separate ourselves here, the Roman church, the big C Roman Catholic church is not a Catholic church because it's a local church. It consists only of those who recognize the Pope as its head and then those priests and that ecumenical layout, right? But it is a, so it is a local church. We do not as Protestants or as Presbyterians, claim a monopoly on the church. When you claim a monopoly on who is and who is not the church, then you are not excluding those who are true Christians, who are worshiping in a, a Bible-believing, gospel-centered church. You are excluding yourselves. You notice, though, that I'm not saying don't be discerning. That's, that is to say that we know that Christianity is born of uh, profession. We profess Christ as our Savior. We pro profess Christ as our Lord. But that is the true Christ, that Christ which is outlined in the gospel. And if you reject the true Christ, then you reject Christ himself. You reject the person. You reject the works. and Thereby, thereby you reject the salvation. And th that is what the Mormon church does. It is what the um, Jehovah's Witness church does. They reject the person of Christ and therefore his works and therefore that salvation. And so they exclude themselves from the universal church in that way. Um, profession is essential. Now, it includes, sorry, this is uh, number two, the visible church, which is also Catholic, um, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law, consists of all those throughout the world who profess the true religion and of their children, and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. So, okay, a couple of things. First is that it includes children. Now, this is a point of contention where we're going to uh, vary. And you see, when, once you start talking with Baptists, you're going you're gonna to get to that point where you're like, oh, yeah, no, they're, they're like, oh, yeah, no, our, our kids are part of the church. Now, okay, well, why don't you give them the sacrament that, that, that brings them into the church, right? So we believe that the children of believers are holy, that they are set aside, set apart, uh, and that they are brought into the visible church, through the sacrament of baptism, and join us in that worship. Now, um, 
the also, also, I want you to take a look there at the word ordinarily. So we are saved through the ordinary means of word and sacrament. Uh, St. Augustine said, I would not have God for my father if I did not have the church for my mother. Right? So we, faith comes through hearing. Hearing comes via the word of God through the preachers, uh, Sunday school lessons, uh, and the like of at the weekly Sunday gatherings. I, I like to say that I was saved via flannel gram, right? <laughs> and that when the, my Sunday school teacher uh, showed me the, you know, the, the, the person and works of Christ through that means, that ordinary means, that led then to her talking to me about who Jesus was, my relationship with Jesus, why I needed Christ, and then led me uh, in prayer, right? And so that regeneration uh, that preceded that prayer uh, came via then the ordinary means and working of the church. Uh, number three, unto this Catholic visible church, uh, Christ hath given the ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world, and doth by his own presence and spirit, according to his promise, make them effectual thereunto. The ascension of Christ to his throne sent gifts to men, sent gifts to his church, such as the ministry of his word, which restores men to the, ima the image of God, the imago Dei, through Jesus their Lord. The church prepares us as, as a gathering, as a weekly body, to be his bride through the word and sacrament. So we don't want to neglect gathering together as we've been going through Hebrews. This prepares us to be his bride. We're never going to be perfect while we're here on earth, but we are being perfected for the one day when Christ comes to gather up his bride. Um, so number four, the Catholic Church has been sometimes more and sometimes less visible. And particular churches, which are members thereof, are more or less pure according to the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced and ordinances administered and public worship performed more or less purely in them. So you notice there are the mores and lesses. Throughout history, there have been churches, you know, the, there have been the apostolic church, which was, of course, more, and then there have been the medieval Catholic church, which was, of course, very less. And we today uh, strive to be, that means we never stop reforming, semper reformanda, right? That means we never stop uh, trying to perfect the church, but then we emphasize the mores, right? We try to perfect the mores, and then we try to root out the lesses. Um, okay. Okay, yeah, cultivate the more. We must be far from uncritical. That's also, so we must be critical daily of our walk and also then of the life of our church. Uh, ever watchful until we are made the spotless bride receiving her bridegroom. Uh, number five, the purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error, and some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ. Now, this is eliminated, this second phrase here, I believe, is eliminated from um, the more modern update. This is, this is not the 1647 version. I've been reading the 1647 version. It's, uh, it's interesting in its, um, uh, in its comparison to, to the updated version, but, but synagogues of Satan. 
And I imagine that they took out uh, that phrase because it probably would veer toward the anti-Semitic, right? Um, but indeed, there, nevertheless, there shall always be a church on earth to worship God according to his will. There is no better place. I think, think about this. There's no better place or more common place to be damned than in the church. When a false gospel gives false hope and false assurance, adherence to that gospel will damn those who are led away. So those outside the church, right, they, they don't know the gospel. They haven't been confronted with the gospel. They haven't confronted the person and work of Christ. But those within the church who are being preached a false gospel are living out a false faith in a false Christ, and so therefore are damned within the church. Uh, just as truly as, uh, see, um, yeah, just as truly as there are, uh, you know, the, the mores and lesses that we talked about, there will always be a remnant. There will always be a church of Jesus Christ that is faithful to him, uh, that he will maintain, that he will, uh, that he will maintain to himself, um, and uh, we pray that it grows and grows, but, uh, you know, as it waxes and wanes throughout history, we've seen that, um, and it will again, I'm sure. I saw online um, the other day my, uh, my friends who go to a, um, a Methodist church in Hollywood and uh, how um, they, they was just recently the, the Methodist church uh, voted not to accept same-sex marriage and not to uh, allow women, no, no, not to, what was the other thing? Uh, gay, gay, gay clergy, that's right. Um, and uh, my, my friend posted that, that that vote does not reflect the views of her Methodist church there in Hollywood, that, that you know, we, we will not accept this, um, this outlaying really of Orthodox Christianity <laughs> as, as, uh, as reflective of uh, her Methodist church there locally. So unfortunately, that does wax and wane. Um, number six, there is no head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ, nor can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof. Now, that, uh, that has also changed um, a little bit, uh, but they're referencing specifically the Pope I know that, um, that the language has, has softened over uh, the centuries, um, but uh, the message is resounding. We are the body, right? The rest of this, we, the, we are called the body, we're the bride. He is the head, the one and only head, Jesus Christ. Um, any thoughts, questions as we move on to the, second, the 26th chapter? Yeah, please. Well, you know, even, even in a church like Spring Methodist, and I've been a member here, Yes. And, and that's one of the things that the gospel will truly do. It will, it will draw you in and will push mm. you out. Yeah. It, you know, even here, you know, we, there are people who, I guess you could say, have a false sense of a faith and ultimately just understand that they need to leave because they're not part of the church. Oh, yeah. No, most definitely. The, the gospel is offensive. It, it tells me something about myself that, that I don't want to confront. I uh, was talking to um, a new friend at a, at a party, 
um, and uh, was uh, telling him why the, the Christianity confronts you with the gospel. He, he kept saying, why do you say confront? And I'm like, because Christianity makes truth claims. It makes truth claims about the person and work of Christ. And, if you, and you are then called to say, uh, you know, do I or do I not believe in those truth claims? Not, you know, that, that Jesus guy, he was, a good, he was a good guy, and I'm glad that works for you. Well, no, truth exists outside of me. And so we eventually ended up getting to a place where he agreed that he has no knowledge and he has no truth. He gave up knowledge. In, in the course of our conversation, he, he just, he said, oh, well, I, I asked him, is everything you, could everything you know be wrong? And he, he said, yes. I said, you've given up knowledge. You, ha- you don't have it anymore. So we can't even have this discussion. But I, I, I believe that knowledge exists outside of myself, that truth exists outside of myself, that a, a creator has given me those tools, right? Uh, but he, he doesn't acknowledge that. He believes that truth... Oh, go ahead, Pastor. No, no. I, I'm just going to say the preaching of forgiveness of sins implies what? We need it. Yes. It implies that I have offended a holy God. <clears throat> yeah. And that I am under uh, judgment. I'm under his accountability. So even the gospel being good news also carries with it offense. Yes. In that in order to receive it, you have to assume the role or believe the role that you're saying. Yeah, amen. Ralph. You, you can ask most people, and they'll say, oh, well, you know, man's basically good. Hmm. You know, they're basically good. And that leads to all kinds of problems. Right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And not to mention salvation yeah. Uh, this is totally different, but um, the confession of faith seems to hone in on the Catholic, Roman Catholic, and both. But is there ever any updating of adding, like in this area of the world, Mormonism seems to be a greater offense to us, to the church, than Catholicism? Can jump in. It's the same root heresy. You have two religions. One has something to do with the grace of God and Christ, and the other one has to do with our works. Mm-hmm. Similar in that regard, although it's a spectrum. Spectrum, yeah, different places. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I would say, yeah, that, that uh, well, for, yes, it has been updated uh, through, through the centuries. There, uh, the, um, the one, there, there's a PDF available on the, the PCA website of the, the most uh, current um, version with scriptural proofs. Um, I have several versions. I have the one that I misplaced, and then I have this one in the back of my uh, Trinity hymnal. And then I have on my phone here um, this really neat uh, app that is called uh, Christian, Cre- Christian Creeds and Reformed Confessions. Um, and it includes like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, uh, the Athanasian Creed, the Belgic Confession, um, and then it goes through all that and include, includes the Westminster Confession, but it's the 1647 version, so it's uh, a little more um, Catholic-specific. Yes, please. Yeah, um, this is a good question. Well, um, I, I don't know specifically. I think each general assembly 
Um, now it's voted on at the General Assembly, right? The, the changes, yeah. Well, it's just like the Baptists have basically stolen our confession. Right. Right. So them, as their own ecclesiastical group, have decided, you know, to modify to suit their needs. And you could read the, the uh, I think it's a Philadelphia Baptist Convention of like 1647. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just beautiful Calvinism. It's beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, and the London Baptist Confession of uh, 1689, too. But, you know, like, oh, go ahead, Rick. I think the question is overall, what ecclesiastical authority has the right to universally change, you know, the Westminster Confession of Faith? As I understand it right now, you know, the PCA has made various changes to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Yes. But that doesn't include uh, the Reformed Presbyterian Church. Right. Or the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Right. So is there any... Well, no. I, well, because the the Westminster Confession of Faith in and of itself doesn't have intrinsic authority, um, and we'll talk about that when we get to synods and councils. So we'll we'll explore that a, a little bit more as we go on. Um, but moving on then to chapter twenty-seven, or excuse me, chapter twenty-six. Uh, number one, all saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head by his spirit and by faith, have fellowship with him in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory, and being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces, and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and the outward man. So the communion we have with each other is a common communion we have with Christ and with God. This is the, ens the essence of the church. We have this in common with one another. We have God in common. That communion is both with God, with Christ, and between each other. Um, it is a participation with Christ. Uh, and when we, uh, we interact with one another, we participate in common and share our gifts as we share in his gifts. So we share our gifts, those uh, of teaching, of preaching, um, of service, uh, and we share in his gifts, those gifts that he gives to us, regeneration, salvation, uh, uh, sanctification. Um, <clears throat> number two, in the, uh, excuse me, saints by profession are bound to maintain as holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in performing such other spiritual services as to tend to their mutual edification as also in relieving each other in outward things, according to their several abilities and necessities, which communion, as God offereth opportunity, is to be extended unto, unto all those who, in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ. True saints are those whose faith matches their profession. Uh, moving beyond spiritual communion, we look to James 2. If I profess to love God... Uh, but do nothing for my neighbor, like how, how do I show that? How, how could I possibly love God? It's impossible to show true love for God if you do not show love and alleviate the suffering of your brothers and sisters. 
Uh, this, of course, does not mean that we are to neglect those outside the church, but our primary uh, duty is to alleviate the, the suffering of those brothers and sisters uh, within the church. Um, we're directly speaking here in chapter 26 to the participation in the communion of saints, uh, which, as we see, is physical and spiritual. Uh, neglecting the physical needs of our brothers and sisters, we sacrifice communion with them, and we sacrifice necessarily, by, uh, by extension, our communion with Christ. So if we are, if we are neglecting our neighbor, if our, our, our neighbor who is a Christian, and we are letting them suffer, we are neglecting that communion that we have with them because we have the gifts that God has given us, right? And they have a need, and we reach to fulfill that need. And if we don't do that, then we are neglecting that communion that we have with our brothers and sisters and thereby are neglecting the communion that we have with God. That's what James says. Um, yeah. So communion with him in its essence, involves communion with each other, and vice versa. That's why God has given us the church. Number three, the communion which uh, the saints have with Christ doth not make them in any wise partakers of the substance of his Godhead, or to be equal with Christ in any respect, either of which to affirm is impious and blasphemous. Nor doth their communion with one another as saints take away or infringe the title or propriety which each man hath in his good, goods and possessions. So now um, that leads us in this part to a limitation on the previous part. So that limitation is that we um, are not so familiar with God as to partake of his uh, substance rather that we are, um, what's the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt, right? So we are allowed to call God Abba, we are allowed to call him Father, but you know, sitting just behind that, and, uh, and as the divines well knew, is that temptation then to make ourselves uh, equal with God or, or make ourselves like little gods, to sort of create some sort of uh, Christian pantheism. Um, Right. He sees Jesus. So, I mean, it's, do you see the tension there? I mean, I am not Jesus. I will not have share in his essence. But when God sees me, he sees Jesus. And that's kind of, you know, there's a lot of mystery to all this stuff. And we have to accept the mystery. Um, That's the beauty of it. Yeah. When we say we are in union with Christ, that's what that means. That we we are in union with him because of the imputation of his righteousness, right? Not, not because some sort of like physical implantation of, of deity or divine nature uh, is, is then like well, round up in us. Right. Yes, correct. Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead, Ralph. We're, we're creatures. Yes. He created us. And the, and the big war that man has with God is man wants Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We are dependent, right? Um, Even in our glory, we'll still be creatures. Yes. Absolutely. We will still be dependent on him for that everlasting life, right? If he ever stops 
if, if God ever stops, then it all ends, right? Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, so we, uh, we, we look to the, this last portion here as um, sort of uh, a, a redirection back into ourselves and our, our predilection to sin. Um, you know, we look to God for his gifts uh, and uh, his graces, and, and we see uh, all of that in, um, in these, the previous um, sections there, and then we look back into ourselves and our, our, um, our, our tendency to uh, want to be like God. Um, and uh, so that communion with God is not participation in his substance like we talked about, Though we may call God Father, we are reliant on his sustenance for every breath. Like uh, Ralph said, we're creatures. Uh, the, the world relies on him for its revolution around the sun. Um, now, if we look to 2 Peter 1.4, who's got their Bible? Look up, or excuse me, 2 Peter 2.4. Oh, I have my Bible. Did I, 2 Peter 2, 4? Or, oh, I'm sorry, 1, 4. 2 Peter 1, 4. I wrote the number 2 twice. By which he has granted to us, oh, no, that's 1, 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Right, so um, that, uh, that is Peter's updating of his, uh, his original confession, which was, uh, God, uh, I, all the others may leave you, but I won't, right? Um, so he's, he's saying then that he's, he's united to Christ in that divine nature, um, but not a partaker in the sense that he is now divine. Right? So that first confession would have been, I have the ability. I can do this on my own. I can be divine. Right? The second confession then of Peter uh, is that, no, I can, I can only do this through Christ. I'm united to Christ. I'm not divine in and of myself. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we are still dependent, limited, finite, weak. Uh, but it is the, the beauty is that Christ, that God gives us breath, he lives for us, Christ died for us, he intercedes on, um, if you ever get the opportunity, there is on Ligonier um, a wonderful uh, series on the Westminster Confession by uh, Dr. John Gerstner, uh, who is a, uh, a Westminster um, Seminary East professor for many years, uh, and um, uh, he has by the way, more, more than one on there. He's got one on church history, uh, one on, um, oh, I can't recall the second, and then this one on the Westminster Confession. Uh, and so it, when you watch that, you'll, you'll uh, pick up 
um, probably a few phrases that I've peppered in here and there from it because I, I find it uh, so wonderful and edifying. But he says um, that uh, he, he died for us. He intercedes for us. He intercedes on my behalf for, you know, to make this poorly thought out lesson, something that can, you know, edify and strengthen each of you. And he, uh, he intercedes on your behalf in the hearing of it, too. Um, and uh, it's, what was it, um, uh, Wesley or, or Ed, Edwards, I think, who said that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm but a worm. And um, uh, Gerstner says, uh, that's insulting to worms. Uh, <laughs> a, a worm does what it's supposed to do. And, you know, the fact that we need all, you know, here we need scripture, we need interpretation of scripture, we need then the teaching of the interpretation of scripture is that we don't do what we're supposed to do, right? We, we were made to be uh, worshipful cre- created beings, but instead we rebel against God. Um, and so that, he, sa- he says... Um, <coughs> Uh, yeah, it's insulting to worms. It was wonderful. So he, uh, he says, that in my worminess, uh, my sub-worminess, uh, I, I, I've prepared this lesson, right? And um, in your sub-worminess, you are hearing the lesson. But the beauty of the gospel is that Christ intercedes on our behalf, and the Spirit works through us to help me to talk and you to listen. That's just wonderful. And uh, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so communion now um, is not communism. That's the last part. That part that says here, uh, nor, nor doth their communion with one another as saints take away or infringe the title or propriety with each, which each man hath in his goods and possessions. That's why, um, that's why uh, it, when Ananias uh, comes for it says, you know, uh, this land was yours until you sold it, until you dedicated its purpose to one thing and then lied about it, right? The land was his it was, you know, in, in relation to the church, in relation to the other people. Certainly not in relation to God. God owns everything. Uh, we own nothing. Everything we have is a gift from above, and we then uh, are grateful for that. But See, the, the sharing in property, the sharing in um, money and, and gifts um, is to be a, an outgrowth of that participation um, with Christ as a voluntary act out of, out of uh, what's the word I use? Gratitude, right? We are to be uh, grateful to God in what he has given us and then to give that out to others. It cannot be forced, and if it is forced, then it is not truly gratitude, right? And so, therefore, uh, co- communion uh, is not communism. Uh, thoughts on that? Other things? Let's move on then to chapter 31. Oh, I'm doing well, better on time than I thought. It's probably because I talk so fast. Um, <clears throat> chapter 31. For the better government and further edification of the church, there ought to be such assemblies as are commonly called synods or councils, and it belongeth to the overseers and other rulers of the particular churches by virtue of their office and the power which Christ hath given them for edification and not for destruction to appoint such assemblies and to convene together in them as often as they shall judge it expedient for the good of the church." And this uh, uh, speaks a little bit to 
um, where that earthly authority comes from. Even the Westminster divines acknowledged that they were not the end-all, be-all of uh, Christian doctrine or interpretation. Or they, they acknowledged that there would, need, there would necessarily be controversies that arose after uh, they all went to glory. Um, and so they uh, allowed not only for um, the, uh, the reassemblies, um, but in various times and places that there would be uh, various groups of local churches getting together and, uh, and looking to matters of conscience. So this is really going from the nature and essence of the church then to the structure of its government, um, the, uh, pr- the Protestant hierarchy, uh, local minister, uh, then session, well, this is more Presbyterian hierarchy. There, there's the local minister and the session, uh, the presbytery, uh, the synod, and then the general assembly, right? The general assembly being the, the highest court uh, of the three in, the pre- in, Presbyterian, um, in Presbyterian government. Uh, so these are, are graded courts. The Bible teaches quite clearly that the individual congregation is not the final unit of the Christian church. No matter how many campuses, no matter you know, how many helicopters your church owns, it is not the, it is not the final unit of the Christian church. Um, that is seen in, uh, in Acts when they gather together for the Council of Jerusalem. Um, it's seen as Paul talks about the various um, individual con- congregations giving to the support of uh, the, the needier congregations. Um, and let's see, so the life of the church, though, oh, I, I'm sorry, did somebody, no. So the, uh, the life of the church um, primarily resides in the congregation, um, uh, authority as we see it here, not intrinsic authority, but earthly authority emanates from the local congregation. There is that internal call that men feel to become um, deacons, elders, uh, pastors, but also then that external call of the local congregation who calls them and, and uh, then sends them to uh, presbytery and general assembly. So uh, the local congregation emanates the authority and then the authority is given back to it by uh, the, the graded courts. Um, so that, uh, that the two principles that we're looking at there are the manner of government by which uh, the, the church is uh, run, and then the second principle is that there should be necessarily graded courts uh, that one can bring matters of conscience to um, at, at, at various levels. Does that all make sense? Said. So it's an accountability. Yes, absolutely. Yes. The presbytery has accountability for what this session does. Yes. Great and so on and so forth. Yeah. We send our minutes from our session meetings to presbytery. Yep. Every year to be evaluated. Yep. Uh, my uh, good friend uh, was the chair of the records committee, which is the most highly coveted <laughs> role at, uh, at presbytery. Uh, it's not really. It's it's <laughs> nobody wants to do it. So. Uh, so uh, my friend, uh, J- Pastor Jason Pedersen, he's, uh, he's a volunteerer like me, so uh, he, he stepped up. Um, 
Okay. So number two, uh, it belongeth to synods and councils ministerially to determine controversies of faith and cases of conscience, to set down rules and directions for the better ordering of the public worship of God and government of his church, to receive complaints in cases of maladministration and authoritatively to determine the same, which decrees and determinations, if consonant to the word of God, are to be received with reverence and submission, not only for their agreement with the word, but also for the power whereby they are made as being an ordinance of God appointed thereunto in his word. So let's talk very specifically about that word ministerially. Ministerially, this is a key point that is essential to Protestantism, right? Um, Every officer is a minister and servant of Jesus Christ. God alone is the Lord of conscience. When judgment is passed by a synod, presbytery, or by a council, it is still the judgment of men and and is fallible and does not have intrinsic authority. The Westminster Confession is fallible. It does not have intrinsic authority. It does not have authority in itself. General Assembly, your session, they are fallible. They do not have authority in and of themselves. That is why Pastor Tim says weekly at the Lord's Supper, and as I, a minister in his name, that the authority never resides in Pastor Tim. The authority never resides in the session or in the document of the Westminster Confession. It resides in God and God alone. That is where the intrinsic authority comes from. Um, That is in direct opposition to the Roman Catholic Church, which does declare itself the absolute authority. When it... uh, what is his name? Um, it uh, excommunicated uh, Savonarola. That's his name. Uh, Savonarola, about a, a half century or so before Martin Luther, um, and it uh, it said we we cast you out of the church militant now and of the church triumphant in the future. Right. So, does the Roman Church have the authority to do that? You know, do, do, do we have the authority to do that as Protestants? No. We can only excommunicate from the local body, right, from one section of the local church. We cannot at all say that you, by, by disagreeing with us on this matter of conscience, you are therefore excluded from uh, the glory to come. Mm-hmm. Reformed churches should uh, recognize and excommunicate. Yes, yes. And, you know, you read, read all sorts of read weird stories of people who have, you know, been excommunicated from the OPC but wind up in the PCA and so forth. Oh, no, I mean, I've seen it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we had... Uh, um, a, uh, uh, unfortunately, to uh, excommunicate a member, um, and he just ended up showing up at a, another um, PCA church. It, was, it wasn't a PCA church, but it was down the road. Um, and so we called the pastor and said, hey, this is what's going on. And the pastor was like, yeah, you know, I've, I've been working with him. And I was like, okay, well, are you barring him from the table? No, I'm going to leave that up to his conscience. <laughs> like, okay, well, you're, you're undermining, you're undercutting 
uh, that, that authority of the church that has granted in Scripture um, and granted then uh, to the local bodies to say, no, this brother has done something or th- this man has done something egregious um, and is unrepentant in his sin. And he w- remained unrepentant as he was accessing the table at that other local congregation. So you're absolutely right. It happens all the time. Um, but, uh, and that just goes to show that, you know, we don't have that intrinsic authority. If we did, uh, I guess we would uh, end up executing people. Like, and that doesn't seem like a good idea. Um, okay. So, now, okay, the, uh, so ministerially, we, uh, we understand what that means. We, uh, it is not, it is uh, a matter of, of guidance. It is to say that the intrinsic authority comes from elsewhere. And we, the opposite of that would be then the, the liberal church would be the, um, uh, would be the uh, do what thou wilt. that is the whole of the law, or uh, every man is, is a law un, unto himself, uh, that sort of thing, or does not recognize the intrinsic authority of Scripture, uh, but rather changes and uh, with the times. Um, that would be the Roman Church leads off to the right in terms of absolutism. Uh, the liberal Church leads off to the left, uh, in, you know, that says you know it's it's tr- purely strictly a matter of how you feel about something, right? Um, so ministerially, remember that. Uh, okay, so you obey, you obey the synods and councils, you follow the Westminster Confession um, because your conscience is sated before God, right? That, that is, that you truly believe the things that you are professing from these uh, documents, these guides, these councils and synods. Um, but then you must not forget that it was called to your attention by a ministerial authority. So it's that... It, it plays against one another, or not against one another, plays off of one another. Both our conscience uh, then is, it can be guided and molded by the ministerial authority. You might not even know uh, that you, you are doing something uh, incorrect or you're doing something wrong until um, the, those ministers that are appointed by God call you out for it. Right? And then it piques your conscience, and then you obey uh, because you obey because you are uh, internally called to account by God to, um, to form your actions to, uh, to that council or that synod. Um, and so that is the uh, essence of the Westminster Confession. It is a, um, they are correctly interpreting and applying Scripture as a ministerial authority and not as an absolute authority. Uh, yeah, so, and we see that in this third uh, section here, all synods and councils since the apostles' times, whether general or particular, may err, and many have erred. Therefore, they are not to be made the rule of faith or practice, but be used as help in both. Uh, I'm going to read the fourth one as well. Synods and councils are to handle or conclude nothing but that which is ecclesiastical and are not to intermeddle with civil affairs which concern the commonwealth, unless by way of humble petition in cases extraordinary or by way of advice for satisfaction of conscience, it, if they be thereunto required by the civil magistrate. There used to be a section in this chapter that said that the magistrate 
could call a, could call a council. And uh, that the, the magistrate would say, you know, this, this particular tenet of Christianity has got me thinking. I, I think we need a council. Um, unless it says that uh, magistrate, meaning, of course, the, the, low, the government of the city or uh, nation, um, could call councils. It said unless that uh, magistrate be evil and, uh, and um, unchristian, in which case the local churches could call themselves together uh, in a council. Um, but we, uh, of course, don't have separation of church and state. We don't, uh, this um, is uh, very optimistically uh, millennial of me and not post-millennial of me to say that uh, we, we are not here to make the government better in so much as um, to uh, ensure that it, it holds to the, um, the tenets of Christianity, but rather we are here to uh, be uh, the church um, and to act uh, accordingly um, and not to, uh, but to, like it says here, uh, humbly petition in cases extraordinary or by way of advice for satisfaction of conscience, not to change the government itself. Um, the whole... No to theomony. So <laughs> um, I, uh, I, when I was starting to study uh, Greg Bonson, I, I was, uh, became very uh, sad that uh, at the end of his life he uh, be, became a theonomist. Um, and uh, yeah, I have great, great troubles with that, but we can talk about that later. Uh, so <clears throat> the whole of the Reformation uh, lives here. Uh, this is that at, at this third um, this third section, uh, many have erred, and they acknowledge that they acknowledge that they uh, are possibly in error uh, because we are not perfect, um, and we will not be perfected until glory, uh, and we we do get things wrong. I I have probably said some wrong things in this lesson, right? Um, and uh, and I'll I'll repent of it later, uh, but the. Uh, um, the essence of the Reformation is that um, we are not missing then the forest for the trees. For those individual errors, we do not want to cast aside all ministerial authority or all traditional authority that has come to us um, via the good graces of God in history worked out through faithful uh, Christians. Um, I was uh, talking with someone and uh, she uh, said that, uh, you know, let's, uh, let, let's say that you measure out a piece of wood to be nine feet, um, and then you use that piece of wood to cut more pieces of wood. Well, by the time you get around to, I think she said, like the seventh uh, generation of wood, um, you are off by as much as a foot, uh, she says. Uh, so that's why we shouldn't be creedal or confessional. Follow? So she, see what she does there? And so she then, uh, I, I said, well, who told you this? And she said, well, my pastor told me this. And I said, so you have exchanged then the authority, the, 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 the authority in, in, on earth that God has given you, the tradition and authority and interpretation uh, and application of scripture that God has given you over the 2,000 years of the church. You've exchanged it for two things, yourself and your pastor. 
See, like the key, the, see, see, you can never replace, you can, you can, that's when you say no creed but Christ. That's your creed. When you say no, no authority but scripture, well, that's your confession. You'll get that foot of creep a lot quicker too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that'll, it, <laughs> because none of us can uh, truly absorb all of Scripture and then uh, interpret and apply it. Um, it. We cannot do that individually. Uh, maybe some of you can. Praise God for you. Uh, me, me, no. Uh, I need the authority that God has given us throughout the life of the Christian church and continues to give us uh, through the uh, application of Tim's preaching, through the ap- application of the, uh, the um, presbytery, of the general assembly, I need that. Uh, just because authority has been wrong, and often so, does not mean we reject all human authority, because then what we're really doing is substituting ourselves, or a cult of personality, or a particular pastor, some charismatic uh, folk that come along, um, and who have you know, fun woodworking analogies. Um, we, exchange the, uh, we exchange the authority that that God has given us through the years uh, for, for something that is um, uh, entirely less tangible, right? Um, that becomes uh, a, a, a God in and of itself. Um, that's all. We got through it. Thank you. <laughs> um, any questions, comments? Well, wonderful. Thank you so much. Let's, uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord, um, Thank you for your word. Please uh, forgive me if I've uh, said anything wrong and, and uh, intercede, therefore, on, on uh, my behalf to uh, say the right thing, intercede on the hearer's behalf to hear and interpret and, and apply uh, the right thing. Um, you are the Lord of conscience. Uh, let us all be piqued in our conscience this week. Let us all confront our sins um, and uh, look to you uh, for forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.